Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 79, Dear Evangelical Pastor. Hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries. And we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am here with licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. And we also have in the studio our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. Is that, is that something? Is that sure, a thing? that's a thing. Yeah, okay. You did great. And today we are going to be exploring the story of a man who is a retired Air Force commander and former vice president of Focus on the Family and how he wrestled within the system back then to love and serve LGBT people. We'll hear his message for evangelical pastors and really for all of us. And this man's name is Mike Rosebush. And like I said, he's a retired Air Force commander and fighter pilot, and he's led areas of focus on the family. He also has his PhD in counseling psychology and is a licensed professional counselor. He's won prestigious awards and wrote the book, Evangelical Man, Same-Sex Attraction. Mike, welcome. Well, thank you, Lori. Uh, hello, Matt. Also to you. Very honored to be on your program. Uh, you two are just have super fans here in Colorado Springs. Aww. I know. You, I hope you know you're very, very loved here. Oh, in fact, thank you. La- last night we've got uh, what we call a, it's a side B fellowship uh, community. We named ourselves the Beehive, and everyone oh, nice. is pumped and praying for you. They can't wait mm. for the broadcast to come out to listen to it. So next time you're in Colorado Springs, uh, come join us. We will. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds exciting. Yeah, we'd love it. Oh, it it is. Yeah. Well, Mike, we are going to dive in before we hear more of your story to the question of the week from last week. And listeners, we asked and you responded. So thank you for all of your responses. The question that we asked was, if you could hang out with one biblical character for a day, not Jesus, (laughs) and one celebrity, also not Jesus, (laughs) and one author, also not Jesus, right? He's the author and finisher of our our faith. (laughs) Thank you. And our key thought for the day. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Um, So who would you choose? And Mike, we would love to start with you. Okay. Well, let's see. For um, biblical character, I think I would choose the Apostle John. Uh, He's... Hmm. I would want to know as much about Jesus as I possibly could. And that guy was with him pretty much from A to Z. You know, he was there at the baptism. He watched him on the cross. He took care of his mom uh, afterwards. Uh, He was there at the transfiguration. And most importantly, he was cuddling with Jesus and uh, knew what Jesus's love felt like. And so he's someone I couldn't get enough of. Mm, I love it. And then let's go with one celebrity? Well, if I had one celebrity, uh, Lori and Matt, to spend the day with, I have to confess it would be Robert Redford. When I was 17 years old, I sat in a movie theater and I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I was just gosh, crushed on this guy named Robert Redford. He, uh, this gorgeous blonde hair and really (laughs) strong masculine presence and this winsome smile. And, and then over the years, the guys put out some darn good movies Mm -hmm. and I know he's a little up there in age, but if he had a day to spare with me, I think I would really enjoy that. Aw, and author. Oh, this this guy I'm hoping to really meet uh, fairly soon. It's Greg Coles. Hey, oh. 
Yeah, I I loved his book. His book was transforming for me. It made me feel happy to be gay. It uh, <laughs> it was just such a well written book. And everyone tells me he's the real deal. He's just uh, full of energy and and joy. And what's not to love about that? So Greg Coles, if you're listening to this, fella, I'm looking for you there at the Revoice Conference. Aw, yep. Greg is one of our good friends as well. Yeah. We keep trying to convince yeah. him to move to Grand Rapids. He is so. the real deal. All right. How about you, Matt? Which listener did you resonate with? And then what are your answers? Yeah, well, I got to give a shout out to a good friend, Silas, who said he'd like to hang out with Enoch for the biblical character. Oh, yeah. Who walked with God. Yeah, like, just, just it gets work. taken up and, you know, no, no death noticed and, and just straight to heaven. <laughs> um, actor, well, actress Emma Watson of, you know, Harry Potter. Fame. So, I mean, yeah, no, no problems there. And then J.R.R. Tolkien. As as the author that he would go. Wait, did you with. say Tolkien? I did say Tolkien. Well, how do you have to is say it, it Tolkien? Is it Tolkien? I, I don't, don't know. know. I'm Tolkien. That's Tolkien. our next question. Tolkien line. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what's going on anymore. Oh boy. So he'd want to hang out with J.R.R. Yeah, with Junior. Junior. <laughs> Junior. Robert. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, you, I'm completely thrown now. Okay, so for me personally, the the I was going back and forth on the biblical character. I really did want to say the you know John because mm. yes, the the just hanging out with Jesus, but then also just can you explain Revelation a little more for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Put yeah. That down. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, since Mike, since you took him, I'm going to go a completely different direction, and I'm going to say I'd like to spend one day with Adam and Eve so I could slap them. <laughs> Oh, my word. Say, what have you Idiots. done to us? Yes. Then, you know, Come then, on. Day, the then, whole then day. you know that that would open you up to them slapping you back. Yeah, because they sinners, Matt. <laughs> you know, it's. I, I think it would be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As for, as for a celebrity, I would have to go with, with actually probably my... Just the, the person in Hollywood that I respect the most, which is Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Mm. I, I just... Every character that I've seen him in, I just really like. And so I can imagine I would like him as a person as well. And I've just heard really good things about him. Um, and then as far as an author, I think he actually lives in Colorado, but I would say Jeff Wheeler. He is the, uh-huh. the most recent uh, just fantasy author that I've been really into. Read like all 21 of his books and, and looking to read more. Lori secretly has also read all Not even secretly anymore. I, I, I got her into the fantasy genre with Jeff Wheeler, and now she's just nonstop <laughs> like, nerding out with well me. Well done. And so it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I have to thank that man. Not, <laughs> no slaps there, just all thanks. I am not kidding. I'm like super looking forward to his next, because I've read all of his books. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to June when I'm in, on maternity leave and reading his the next one that comes out then. Yep. I am so embarrassed right now. Oh, well. Steve, let's move to you, please. Uh, Okay. Uh, I liked what Bob had to say. Uh, He said, Jacob, I want to know what it was like to physically wrestle with God because I do it mentally and spiritually all the time. That's neat. That was good uh, kind of thinking there, Bob. And uh, as far as the author, N.T. Wright. Yeah. And then what he said for the celebrity, Chris Hemsworth, because my wife could meet him. So he's looking out for his wife. <laughs> That's, That's nice. nice of him, I guess. Uh, for me, I um, had a hard time with the biblical character 
But I, I just landed on Gideon because I can kind of relate to him. Hiding in the well? I'm sort of a hider. I mean, oh. I've got that, you know, uh, in me. Yeah. And so I feel like I would relate. I, we would be able to relate, you know, to just like God using us despite ourselves. Yeah, God, I need one, just one more sign, please. Right, right. Just and, one more. The, you know, kind of like what somebody with not much faith can actually accomplish if God is in it. Um as far as the celebrity, I'm going to go with Bono. Um, yeah, well, I just like his passion. Um, I feel like we could talk Psalms like all day long mm. or just, you know, have a Guinness and just see what happens. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. Because <laughs> uh, we're both Irish. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> as far as the author, a, a, another difficult one. But if it doesn't have to be somebody who's still alive. I feel like Brennan Manning. I'd be real oh, interested yeah. in kind of Abba's just, child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking over things with him. So that's what I got. I love it. Um, you guys, everyone who responded, I just wanted to sit down and have a Guinness with you <laughs> when I'm not pregnant and understand why. So I appreciated all your perspectives. Uh, Bethany uh, messaged me on Instagram and she said, Ruth or Jonathan, which many of you said that, both examples of the said love that I've studied and taught on this year. And they're both very overlooked characters in the scripture who I'd be honored, honored to speak with. And then Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from mm-hmm. The Office. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. She said she was Awesome on the office, duh. And she's weirdly obsessed with following her real life bread making Instagram stories. So now I want to follow Jenna, which I don't. And she said she just seems really down to earth and they could be real BFFs. And then Paul <laughs> Miller, as the author, um, I guess he wrote A Loving Life, a book on Ruth and explaining the Hesed love in a way that deeply challenged me. And then she gave a shout out to you, Matt, which many people told me they bought the um, the book on Hesed by The Inexpressible yes. book by uh, Michael, Michael. Carr. Car. Yeah, hello. And uh, so I the you, office you going. I thought really Michael Scarn. Oh, Michael <laughs> Scarn. <laughs> okay, but as I was thinking through this, I think Paul he he just teaches me how to suffer well in challenge. Um, he also got taken up to paradise. I'd like to ask questions about that. And he knows spiritual warfare. I have just been Legit. in that yeah. space for a bit, and I just would like to understand it more from someone who could just nonchalantly be like, and then Satan prevented us from going here and there. <laughs> and I'm like, can we talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I want to ask him some questions about, you know, women in ministry and submission. I don't know, whatever, if he's got that, but mostly the warfare thing. Chris Pratt is celebrity because... I just was thinking, so I like thought of all these people I wanted to hang out with, but I'm like, would they want to hang out with me? Mm. And then I started getting really definitely, insecure. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, and I was like, Chris Pratt, I feel like he'd be a good hang. And then I could picture Matt also hanging with us. So again, yeah, I, I was looking out for Matt. For yeah, which I don't think Matt has a crush on him. Um, but I mean, I, a little bit, <laughs> just not Hugh Jackman level. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Hugh I mean, Jackman. Come on. Um, and then author Fran Chan, come oh, on, yeah. Francis Chan. I, I just so admire people who are living out the gospel. That's why we're doing this stinking podcast. And so I want to ask him, especially questions about how he raised and raises his kids while doing ministry and doing like intense work. And so I just have like a bunch of parenting questions for him. So good, good question and good back and forth, y'all. It's time now. <laughs> For Goofball Island. Time for Goofball Island. Now we're taking that fifth wheel. 
and the game we're playing, because I always change the name of this game, is 51015. And we want to get to know you, dear Mike, more about your every five years of your life from zero to 20. So let's start with zero. What is a unique aspect to your birth? Yeah, I was born in a very small town in uh, Kansas called Iola, and my dad, that's his hometown, but he couldn't be there for my birth because he was living in Taiwan. Oh, snap. He was in the uh, Air Force at that time, and that's a little island outside the mainland China that uh, America was trying to protect in the 1950s. Hmm. And uh, after my birth, we had to wait six weeks for my mom to be able to travel on a ship to get me to my dad in Taiwan because... uh, I was just a little guy, and they needed to make sure that I was healthy enough. Wow. Okay, that is interesting. Yeah. All right, age five, what was your greatest fear? Oh, goodness. I remember I walked into kindergarten, and uh, I just started sobbing. And my older brother, who is three years uh, older than me, he saw me during a recess, and he said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. And I just started crying. And it was, uh, I think I was just homesick from my mommy. And my I was totally embarrassing my older brother. But I remember sobbing deeply, wanting my mommy to be there at five years old in my first day of school. All right. Age 10. What was your favorite subject? Age 10. Well, this isn't a subject because I can hardly remember subjects when I was age 10. Yeah, but I just fell, fell in love with football. I got into... Um, uh, playing sports literally at age 10. That was my first sport I ever played wow. and uh, just fell in love with it. And that sort of became my life for quite a while playing uh, football. Nice. And you were in what state then? Not mental or Hawaii. emotional, but uh, physical. My, okay. my dad was, yeah, my dad was Air Force and he okay. was stationed in Hawaii and it was just idyllic. Uh, wow. Gosh, I hated to, to leave there. We played sports year round. I went from football to basketball to baseball to tennis and then right back into football again. And oh, man. We were doing that, we were body surfing. So it I was, was just pretty say, idyllic as a 10 year old. Seriously. Yeah, no if you leave, if you live in Hawaii, don't you, isn't like a mandate that you get a surfing like childhood (laughs) (laughs) well that's true i got a body surfing childhood uh and yeah that that was plenty good for me all right age 15 how awkward were you Oh, pretty darn awkward around <laughs> girls. Uh, I I knew that i was supposed to date and uh, so when i would ask a girl out at 15, you know, you can't drive. And so there's this whole coordination of, so what do we actually do and how do we get to where we're going? And it usually ended up being my mom would uh, take me and my date to a movie and then pick us up when the movie was done. And I just remember feeling like, I hope I'm doing all this okay. I didn't really feel like I was at that point in life, but I remember feeling just very awkward about it. I just hope I'm doing this right. Hmm. And age 20, how far along were you or where were you at in the calling that God <laughs> had in your life? Well, I just completed my uh, prodigal uh, sophomore year. Uh, So uh, I was at the Air Force Academy. I'd been a good altar boy as a Catholic uh, growing up. I mean, a really darn good one. Uh, Didn't do sort of any of the, the bad stuff and lived my life that way as a 
freshman, but boy, come sophomore year of college, I just wanted to taste evil in every imaginable way I could. And mm. uh, all these sort of swear words began coming out of my mouth and I began drinking and and God sort of rescued uh, me from that wayward sophomore year and brought me back home. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are looking forward to hearing more of your story, which we just kind of set a little bit of the, at least the mile markers every five years. And so let's shift into the heart of the matter. All right, Mike, how was the gospel, which is I'm more loved than I can imagine and more sinful than I believe. How was it first good news for you and how is it still? So this is kind of like your five minute testimony and the right now application. Yeah, really three stages for me, Lori. The first was magnificent. Uh, I had a, uh, when I was in college at age 22, just getting ready to graduate, I had an evangelical roommate and uh, he asked me three important questions. He said, Mike, why are you, why do you read the Bible each night? Hmm. I said, well, honestly, because I'm embarrassed. And he said, why are you embarrassed? I said, you, you bring all of our classmates in here and you guys know exactly where to turn. Hmm. I've never read the Bible before. I just want to stop being embarrassed when you guys come over. Hmm. And he said, well, do, do you know Jesus Christ? And it felt like a put down. So I said, yes, I know who <laughs> Jesus Christ is. And he said, so, and here's the third question. So what's your relationship with him? Hmm. And I was just stunned. I mean, Hey, he was born on Christmas. He died on Easter, right? Do I have Do I have those facts right? I'm, I'm kind of asking him, and but relationship. And then he said, "Well, you know, you can have a relationship with him. You can be with Jesus forever." Wow. And for the altar boy who lived well only when I walked out of the uh, priest confessional booth, because mm. then I knew I was okay with God. Uh, this good news, oh, good, Lori, is too small of a word. It was wow. just phenomenal news to me. And I, I got down my knees and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I remember this little tiny immature prayer that said, I don't know where this is going to lead me, but I'm not leaving you. Hmm. And just uh, so much changed after that. Uh, second story, I was, uh, let's see, probably close to 50 years old and had a quick shack-like experience. This will sound a little bizarre, maybe, but mm. everything had been all about Jesus ever since I asked him into my heart. Uh, and suddenly I got kind of introduced to the Holy Spirit and it was in a pretty dynamic way. And we just had so much fun with each other. He was mm. showing me things I really had not understood or even seen before. And I began to recognize him. Uh, he still is a very dear friend of mine. And then not to be left out about a year later, God, the father said, hey, I think I want to introduce myself to you, Mike. Mm. And I had this kind of Jesus is good cop, God the Father's bad cop. Hmm. And then he showed me in that year, no, 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 I think you got this all wrong. So I would imagine myself uh, snuggling in his lap and him putting his arm around me, and I called him dad. Hmm. I would pray to him as dad. And, um, and we're still um, deeply in love with each other right now. And that Trinity experience just changed everything, uh, as you may hear later in terms of my sexual addiction that I had had. It just... Uh, just made all the difference in the world. Praise God. Last story, amen to all of that. And 
Yeah, yeah, hands held up high on on all of that. Most recently, my wife died uh, in 2017 of mm. cancer. I'm sorry. And uh, she um, had great difficulty with my same-sex attraction, meaning that she always conceived of that as sinful to have the attraction. And so mm. um, life had been very, very repressed for me for um, most of my life. And then with her death, uh, th- I just gave myself, uh, Lori, Matt, you can appreciate this, uh, the the freedom to kind of lean forward and just really experience what it is to be gay and to be unashamed about that. Mm. And I've been changing. Everyone tells me this. They said, Mike, you're you're really different now. It's a good different. I, I notice I just feel automatically compassion for people that are hurting. I never volunteered at a uh, homeless shelter before, but I do it every week and serve coffee to my friends there now. And uh, it just feels, it, it honestly feels like I'm becoming more Christ-like. Hmm. Now, some people hearing that, and we're going to unpack this and maybe we'll Start now, but just in that term, like being gay, what does that mean to you? Yeah, uh, for me, being gay is the sort of the universal term for um, non-straight. And I had been uh, required to refer to myself as struggling with same-sex attraction mm-hmm. for so many years mm-hmm. that when I learned that this is no struggle, this, in fact, I'm perfectly content with these attraction, and in fact, in some ways, I'm very blessed by these attractions, mm-hmm. then announcing myself as someone who has the attractions seemed only to tie me to a small community that seemed to not like these attractions. Mm -hmm. And gay tied me to a bigger world where um, I was part of a community, part of an LGBT community. I I began feeling a sense of, well, they're my brother and sister in Christ, and I want to defend them too. Uh, And so... The word gay for me is is important. I usually introduce myself, though, by simply saying, hey, I'm Mike Rosebush, I'm, I'm in Christ, and I also am gay. And I try to decouple those two terms instead of always tying them together. And I always say I'm in Christ first, because that is my fullest, most sincere, primordial identity. Mm-hmm. But I've got lots of other identities. You know, I'm a grandpa of seven, former football player. I'm American and I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And that that being gay is an undeniable part of my reality. And I'm just not ashamed to sort of say it matter of factly. Well, and I think that's the biggest part because I and again, I might use different language. And for me, I like like a paragraph to describe myself, which is kind of what mm-hmm. you just did. Um, but for me, what there was a moment when I just removed the shame, which is what you just said. Yes. That was a key word yes. is unashamed. And so, cause I know years into our marriage, I still carried a lot of shame around the attractions themselves. And mm-hmm. now that has been removed from me as well. And I just, I don't glory in them. And I just, it's just there. It just feels like yes. I don't feel shame about it and that, and you can boast about your weaknesses, which is what I'm hearing in you as, as well is, um, yeah. I, Absolutely. There's there's almost this gratitude that you feel because you're like, God uses this to make him look strong. 
So, mm-hmm. Mike, thank you for explaining that. Um, now, I reached out to you because I read something that you wrote and posted. I don't know if you just posted it on Facebook or where, but it was titled Dear Evangelical Pastor. And in it, you shared your story uh, of of walking out, um, really caring for LGBT people. And even though you felt like you were maybe doing it wrong back then, but it was the, the right, you felt like it was right. Can you just explain why you wrote that letter and just some of the pieces of it? Yeah. Um, in some ways, it was uh, out of a sense of frustration, if not being a little PO'd over um, the evangelical community of, um, of the pastors and leaders. Yeah. I had read the Nashville statement and I disagreed um, 100% with one of their statements regarding uh, identity. And I was... I was hurt and and angered by when I saw the list of they they brag that there's now up to 22,000 signees of these. But I saw, you know, famous evangelical names, in fact, uh, icons in the faith, if you will, of evangelicalism in the modern time. And all of them had signed up on this. And I thought, you all have it wrong on this one particular area. And it and that annoyed me. And then when I saw this tremendous uh, false accusations of revoice and then the uh, mischaracterization of um, side B, I kind of wanted to set the the record straight there as much as I could. I also was a little frustrated here in Colorado Springs, we're the evangelical capital of the world, at least mm-hmm. as we were just defined that and focus on the family's heyday. Mm-hmm. And I went around to evangelical churches trying to see if they wanted to Oh, just understand more about same-sex attraction, and I couldn't get any to really open the door. And so I was a little frustrated with the evangelical uh, church. And so I wanted to do a couple of things. One, I wanted to champion the LGBTQ uh, community, uh, realizing that my background is a little unusual. I mean, I'm 65 years old, uh, football player, ex-fighter uh, pilot in the Air Force, uh, promoted ahead of 95% of my peers in the Air Force. Uh, vice president of Focus on the Family and and actually was the uh, director of Exodus's professional counseling program. That is an unusual resume for someone who then claims to be gay. And so I thought, and in reality, that has been true, that I could have a voice that would contribute to revoice and to side B because of my rather unusual uh, background. And Sad to say, uh, many of the evangelical leaders are viewing side B and revoice as just young and immature and radical. And then when, you know, someone like me says, well, I'm all in on it and there's nothing immature about them and there's nothing really radical about what they're trying to accomplish. uh, Sometimes that helps the other person listen a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So my purpose was to do a couple things. One, to say, hey, I lived through the years of conversion therapy. I went through Homosexuals Anonymous. I very well understand the ex-gay ministries, and I certainly understand the impact that folks on the family had on American culture. That was one thing I wanted people to understand firsthand was my account of this. Secondly, I wanted people to start realizing that every LGBTQ person deserves dignity Mm. and they have been at times dehumanized. And I wanted the reader to understand, no, these are precious people that regardless of 
what you think about their theology or political perspective, we ought to be providing each of them dignity. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, my, my um, beef over the way that Revoice and Side B was being portrayed in its lack of orthodoxy, which uh, to me was blasphemous. Uh, the response I got was awfully darn good. It was it came from really three different sets of readers. There were the LGBTQ readers that um, uh, wrote comments. Uh, currently, I have about 300 comments. And literally of the 300, this sounds like I'm making this up, but there was only one that sort of wanted to spank me a bit. Uh, but But all of the other 299 were extraordinarily positive and I felt grateful for that. There was another group of readers though and those were the pastors and I got quite a few pastors to either call me or Facebook friend me and their response again was 100% thank you I needed to hear that I want to change Mike would you coach me? Hmm. And that was so, uh, oh my goodness, that felt good to hear them say that. The other is I, my church is a member of the Presbyterian Church of America, abbreviated PCA, which was the church that, which was the denomination that hosted the Revoice, um, the first Revoice event. And apparently my little blog letter was sent out to literally every pastor and every senior elder in the entire PCA. Hmm. And someone said, Mike, are you aware that the whole PCA is reading? In your blog. And I said, absolutely not. I had no idea, but I'm thrilled about it. And they said, yeah, we're up to 450 comments already. Hmm. So it does feel like whether it's because I'm old and Air Force and focus on the family and those kinds of things that people are giving me credence to say what other people have been saying, and that is that Revoice and Side B are absolutely orthodox, but also we want the Orthodox Church to start treating the LGBTQ community with Jesus-like love instead of what has been, well, at least 40 years of a different kind of posture. Mm. And thank you for sharing that. And for those who are listening and maybe haven't heard all of our podcasts and where we talked about uh, Revoice, where we had Nate Collins on. um, So Revoice is a conference and it's in in side B, which is what we're referring to here, is those who hold to a historical Christian view of sexuality. And they uh, usually side B people, which Matt, you could include yourself in the side B world, you know, as far as theologically, uh, but it's those who identify as LGBT or same sex attracted or wrestling with gender dysphoria, but their theology is the historical or orthodox view. And so what I hear you saying here, Mike, is uh, just defending it in from, a, you know, these aren't all under 40 radical crazy heads. Um, these Absolutely. are people who are really uh, surrendering their sexuality to Christ, but just with like a voice. So can you... Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about some of your experience that you just alluded to, um, just wrestling through your own sexuality and the challenges of that, and then what you did with it uh, after you got out of there and how you coached other people. Oh, thank you, Lori. Um, well, I realized that I have same-sex attractions at age 12 when I walked into my very first um, locker room as a football player and took off my uniform and went into the open showers. And, and suddenly there was this electricity through me, and I realized that that, that I was uh, overwhelmingly attracted to what I was seeing. I developed basically a sexual addiction to that and to a homoerotic uh, nudity and images. Uh, 
But I honestly didn't really sort of connect the dots that that equals homosexuality. I grew up in a military culture and you, I just never even heard the word homosexual. And at age 31, I was a professional counselor at the Air Force Academy and a cadet was being disenrolled. And I, I said, well, what? Why are you leaving? And he said, well, I'm a homosexual. And I was really curious, literally, as bizarre as this is, I'm 31 years old. This is 1984. And this is the first human being I'm ever talking to who is telling me he's gay. I said, so how, how do you know you're a homosexual? And everything he told me, Lori and Matt, everything he told me was true for me. And I was sat there in this stunned trauma, realizing that I'm a homosexual. And I went to my wife two days later and I said, I think I'm a homosexual. And her reaction was not what I expected nor what I hoped. Um, she it was probably a very normal reaction for any um, uh, straight wife in a mixed orientation marriage back then. Um, but she demanded that I go to therapy and get rid of that. Mm. Uh, and I, I was hurt. I, I, I'd been married to her for eight years and I thought, well, I thought I've already demonstrated that I deeply love you in, in every way of what that connotes. Mm -hmm. And does this make any difference that I just tell you this part of me? But it really did make a huge difference. And I, re I realized shame. I mean, I, yeah. I, I realized that in my wife's eyes, suddenly I became a creature, something very bad. Mm -hmm. And um, that made me very ashamed of who I am. And I realized then keenly that you, you would get thrown out of the Air Force immediately if anyone knew of this. So I, I was always fearful that something would happen that would throw me out of the Air Force. And then I began having ears to hear how my own church began speaking about um, homosexuals or the gay agenda or any of the other terms that they used then, and realizing now that I can hear that they're talking about me, just how, how awful I must be. Mm -hmm. And so I lived with sort of all of that for quite a while. I tried to get it out of me. I went through the top form of conversion therapy that was offered at that time by a Christian psychiatrist. I went through what's called Homosexuals Anonymous. It's a program to try to uh, treat homosexuality as though it's an addiction. Mm. And if you just starve the addiction through repression, um, what will emerge is heterosexuality. Mm -hmm. And none of that happened. And I was sad. And I just sort of thought that I can't change and I didn't think very much of myself. Focus on the family. Um, when I retired from the Air Force, they hired me to be their vice president and president of their college program. And nine years into Focus on the Family, under that kind of condition, there was a student and he saw me and he was tearful one day in my office. And out of the blue, I said, are you a homosexual? And he sobbed and said, yes. And for the first time in my life as a professional, I said, me too. Hmm. And there was something 
oh, just incredibly lifting about that. And I, I knew already I felt good about stating what was true out loud in a professional environment. And so I began saying that to other people. Hmm. And uh, I eventually then went to the Focus on the Family president to say, uh, I am a homosexual. That's the language they wanted they would want someone to say they did not like the word gay. Um, I'm a homosexual. I feel absolutely okay about this. I want everyone at Focus on the Family to know about this. And I want people to understand that this is not what perhaps we're being portrayed to be. I think of myself as a competent person. I just used to be in real shame about this. And that didn't go like I thought. And so I resigned that night and wow. started my own professional uh, coaching ministry. Uh, Matt, you can relate to this, uh, certainly. I specialized in um, Christian men exclusively that were dealing with same-sex attraction. But I, and I was getting all these referrals from folks on the family, from Exodus, from North. Mm. North was... Uh, um, an organization that, from a secular perspective, tried to examine how you could convert someone's mm. sexual orientation. And I wasn't about to put those people through what I was put through. And what I was put through is sort of this evangelical script. And I want to say this very respectfully of anyone who's an evangelical and certainly anyone who is an evangelical pastor. But during those days, there was a script that everyone seemed to be saying, and that is you can eliminate your same-sex attraction through therapy. Mm -hmm. And what will change that is correcting the improper relationship you have with your dad and hanging out with straight men and acquiring masculinity. Wow. Well, I was plenty masculine. I mean, my goodness, you don't get to be a fighter pilot unless you're in this uber masculine sort of uh, <laughs> uh, profession. And my relationship with my dad, he's a great guy. He's not intimate, but he's he's a man I deeply respected. Well, it just wasn't working. And finally, I quit the um, therapy and I the therapist said, well, you ought to really be in a support group called Homosexuals Anonymous. So I was with it for two years and they had a 12 step program. And one of the steps that we would say at the start of each meeting and at the end of each meeting was that, in essence, we know we realize we affirm that we were born as a heterosexual we affirm that something went wrong. We affirm that our real identity is as a heterosexual, and one day that will be attained for us. Well, wow. that was not the case. Uh, nothing changed my attraction. It, it hadn't been lessened in the least, nothing. And I had no need to increase my heterosexuality because I was already happily married to, to my wife. Nothing was changing inside me. Um, and so that script is not what I was going to do to other um, Christians who were dealing with their same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. So I just invented my own script, and I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, and my phone coaching, I gave it a name. I called it Sanctification Coaching, and it was based on several tenets. One is the evangelical script 
is harmful. It's got to go. Number two, we don't know what causes same-sex attraction, so we certainly can't name the reason why it happened or blame someone, whether it's me, the person with the attraction, or my dad. We just don't know what causes the attraction. Thirdly, I learned the attraction never gets extinguished. It just doesn't go away. I I am yet to meet mm-hmm. a man who has same-sex attraction who can tell me that his attraction has been utterly extinguished. Now, yeah. what does change um, might be the ability to uh, not act out on those attractions and become develop sexual integrity, which certainly I developed that eventually. Mm. What might change is a little bit of attraction toward the opposite uh, sex, and that has been well documented, that some may be able to acquire a opposite sex attraction, but that's in the extreme minority. But everyone still has to deal with their own same-sex attraction. So my perspective, uh, Matt, and jump in here if you disagree or agree. No, I'm in complete agreement. (laughs) Yeah, well, my perspective is it's not going to leave. We don't know how it got into us. It's there. Uh, Let's live well with it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, because of my Trinity experience, oh, my goodness, I absolutely knew and still know that The Trinity, every one of them likes me, loves me just as I am, even with these attractions. And so I began to view myself entirely different from the paradigm. I began to say, fellas, I am not a lesser than to use straights. I'm not lesser on anything. Uh, And if you want to treat me that way, well, then honestly, that's sort of a spiritual problem that you're having toward me. It's not (laughs) that I haven't converted myself to get up to the measuring bar yet. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of self-confidence is what I tried to help my uh, clients attain. And we focused on two things in this sanctification coaching. One was, hey, all aspects of your shame regarding your same-sex attraction, that has got to be obliterated. Yeah. Uh, God does, is not ashamed of you. Um, people may want you to be ashamed of yourself and may do things that help induce improper feelings of shame, but you truly have no reason to feel lesser than about yourself simply because of these attractions. And then I would help them understand that sexual integrity is possible, certainly, and to be sort of gentle about doing that. So that seemed to work really, really well. Hmm. And I eventually gave up that uh, profession at my wife's request. She, um, at some point said, hey, I'm really, really tired of you always talking about um, things that have to do with same-sex attraction, Mm -hmm. and either you stop stop this or we're going to have to stop being married to each other. And Mm -hmm. so I said, well, absolutely, I choose you over this profession. Mm -hmm. So I just shut it all down. It It was at the peak of popularity in evangelical world at that time. I just shut the whole thing down and I went back underground, worked at the Air Force Academy. No one knew of my background. Um, I didn't didn't carry the card that I'm gay. I just went back to working at the Air Force Academy. And then when my wife died, I I spent about, oh, Lori, Matt, maybe a half a year kind of thinking, Okay, well, I'm retired now. I don't need more money. What do I 
what do I want to be doing with my life? And the only right answer for me was, I want to be helping Christian men that deal with same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. And no one knew me at that point, and they shouldn't. You know, uh, I didn't even know who West Hill or Preston Sprinkle, and excuse the offense here, or who Lori Krieg is. <laughs> no offense. It's I totally just, fine. I just knew that um, the evangelical script doesn't work very well and that I want to help people lose their shame. I want to defend the LGBT community and count me all in in terms of revoice and side B. Hmm. And so what I do today is just friendship. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to jump in because, you know, when you're talking about kind of the, the role of conversion therapy and, and the things that were being said, the script that was being told, you know, in the evangelical church at that time. And it's, it's really indicative of our own idolatry of sexuality and, and saying that heterosexuality, heterosexual desire is somehow holy. And, yes. and when you look at the, the overarching theme of scripture, okay, heterosexuality, there's a whole lot said about that that is, you know, in the negative in the Bible, but then there's also the sense that, okay, in, in eternity, you know, there's no indication that we are going to be sexual. And, and so to, to base mm -hmm. someone's entire worth and value on their, their sexual attraction in this life, you mm. know, that, that just seems asinine mm. to, to say that, oh, unless you have the same attraction experience that I have, or that, you know, the majority of the world has that, that somehow you are not worth as much because it, it, there's just no indication that, that the Bible or that God says anything about, you know, oh, in heaven, only heterosexual sex. No, not at all. And, no sex. There's going to be yeah, one there's, marriage. There's one marriage, you know, that yes, between Christ yes. and the church. And, and so it's just, it's incredibly I, like I still get a little angry. I still feel it in my voice because I still meet with kids. I still see kids. And the first thing they do when their parents walk out of the room is stare daggers at me and say, are you a conversion therapist? Mm. Mm. Which tells mm -hmm. me that, okay, you're, you're 15, you know, and conversion therapy has not been widely practiced, for you know, for, for a while now, but it's mm -hmm. still, it's still like the ripple effects of, of all this stuff that you're talking about. It's still there mm -hmm. and there still has to be an overcoming. And there's like this visible relaxing when they, when they ask that question, I'm like, yes. heck no, yes. that is not at all what I want to be associated <laughs> with. That's not at all what I'm trying to do here. Yes. You're yeah. I, uh, amen. Amen. I, I think you, you use the word asinine. It really comes across as cruel, uh, cruel to us in the LGBT uh, community, but cruel to um, those that are not evangelical. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, when the, when non-Christians look at the evangelical church, they see it as lacking credibility. Uh, and I believe me, I'm still evangelical. I still go to a PCA church and clearly believe in the word and in the uh, historical biblical ethic and the sanctity of marriage between husband and wife. That said, um, the credibility of evangelical churches uh, probably couldn't be lower. Um, Non-Christians view evangelical churches as being mean-spirited and dehumanizing a certain segment of the population. And they see that as wrong, and they have a name for 
evangelicals. And the name is, well, you guys are the un-Christians. We know who Jesus is. You you certainly don't look like him. The way that you are treating the marginalized is is just not how Jesus treated the marginalized. And I think the evangelical church has to sort of own that, mm-hmm. not because of any um, malicious intent, but because this evangelical script that was universally applied for 40 years, that we've learned that's the wrong script yeah. and we can't keep singing that mantra. When you mentioned to starve it until it's gone. And mm-hmm. that I think is almost the perspective of, of evangelicals and I'll own it too, even though, you know, as I could identify as LGBT, like I can also identify with the church is we, the church that we have to own this is that we have said we want, like when people hear stories of suffering of LGBT people. I think that there's this third level of thinking inside our minds that's, well, they deserve it. And maybe Absolutely. if we just yeah. we have them suffer enough, then they'll want Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is that how Jesus rolls? Like he so loved the world that he died. And we're mm-hmm. so, you know, every time we do workshops, I'll, I'll say this and I'll say, you guys, look at, we set these tables up. We gave you nice chairs. We, we made the room with this ambience so that you can receive our message, our gospel message uh, well. And yet we look at LGBT people and we're like, y'all need to, y'all need to just suck it up until you uh, love Jesus. And so let's starve you and let's make you suffer and feel depressed and feel shamed until you love Jesus. And then maybe you'll want to love him as opposed to, nope, we're going to love and accept you as you are, even pre confession, pre-turning their, surrendering their lives to Jesus. So I'm not even talking about side B people. I'm talking about side A people. So let's Mm -hmm. starve it out of you as opposed to love you like crazy. And it is the love of God, is the kindness, tolerance, and patience of God that leads to repentance. If we start with legalism first and then move into, uh, oh, then, oh yeah, well, God loves you also. That's, that's the Galatian church. That's, you've Mm -hmm. lost your first love. Who are, who, what foolish Galatians you're trying to earn it (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. get love. That's what Paul called Peter Mm -hmm. out on. He said, Peter, why are you making these Gentiles get circumcised? Why aren't you eating with them? He's like, that is not the gospel. It has to start with love. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm getting on Preacher well, Island. No, no, <laughs> preach it, sing it uh, wide, loud, everywhere. You have it exactly right, Lori. Well, I want to land the plane here. You said that there were some, as a result of your letter, pastors who said, coach us. So I want to throw some statistics at y'all listeners. This was a study that came out uh, end of January from Barna, and it's called Faith Leadership in a Divided Culture. And it says nine in 10 pastors say it is a major part of their role to help Christians have biblical beliefs about specific social issues. So 90% clergy say, yeah, it's our responsibility to engage social issues well. The top two issues pastors feel limited or ill-equipped to speak on are LGBT, that's 44%, and same-sex marriage, 22%. Those are the top highest that they felt ill-equipped, limited to speak on. And pastors feel only 7% of their congregations are very well-equipped for conversation. So you hear high need, low-equipped, <laughs> they're not very equipped, and then they feel that their congregations are not ready to talk about this either. So can you coach p- 
pastors as they're listening of just maybe one or two things that you would encourage them to be able to engage this conversation better? Yeah, absolutely. Well, to the pastor that's listening, especially the evangelical pastor, I would say, uh, dear friend, I mean, your life as a pastor is so full already, and you never in your wildest dreams wanted something like homosexuality to be the issue that brings your church down. So let me let me offer you this analogy. We who have same-sex attraction and who are who are evangelical and who devote our life to celibacy and who absolutely believe everything in your orthodoxy, we are not your enemy. Uh, Sometimes I get the impression you think of us as though we're this green beret unit from another country that's going to stealthily come into your church and subvert it. And before you know it, you're going to wake up and all of your orthodoxy is gone. Pastor, what I want you to know is we are absolutely on the same team, but we want you to understand us. We already understand you. And so if you would do what so many pastors are now beginning to do is to just offer your ear first to understand what it is for us in the LGBT community to live within an evangelical church. And maybe you would begin automatically providing a posture that is so respectful. And I think your dear brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ that exited in droves over the last decade, I think you'll see them coming back. It's never been the issue of theology. It's the issue of being treated in a dehumanizing way where they really are viewed as as an uglier, lesser than in your own community. So, Pastor, that's what I would encourage you. If you want, Pastor, some assistance in understanding this, I have offered my services for free to any pastor and would come down to any church just to just to speak. But there are people far better than myself who do this. Obviously, uh, there's Preston Sprinkle and his particular ministry, Bill Henson and his ministry, and there are several others. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor, if you want to truly understand this community such that your own church can now really thrive and totally represent the kingdom, ask. Mm-hmm. We're here. I love it. And again, as people are listening, and I just, I just, I love you and I hear you. And and just even as you're saying LGBT, sometimes people just get caught on that phrase. And I know what you were saying is LGBT people in general, but LGBT people who you're specifically talking about, who are surrendering every day to Christ. Like when you're saying we're on the same team, we really are. And so to not get caught up. Uh, if, if people are listening um, and getting caught on that phrase, but to just hear it and to say, okay, help me understand a little bit better and help me understand that our hearts are the same. Um, just the way that we, we wrestle with this world is different. Um, so thank you so much for that exhortation. Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your heart today. You know, can I, can I add one more last uh, um, Go offer? for it. Yeah. Yeah, there are people all around the globe who, for whatever reason, um, are contacting me on Facebook uh, wanting uh, to be friends. And I 
easily accept that and long to help that person no longer feel ashamed. And so within our community, it's exceedingly easy to be lonely or to feel isolated or to believe you are the only person in your church, maybe the only person in your entire town that deals with this issue. Mm. Hey, you're not, you're not alone. And there are resources that you can come to. And one of them, of course, is me. Amen. Amen. And I, I get many emails as well of people saying, I had no idea there was someone else out there. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's the enemy's game plan. Isolate. I know Steve's nodding. Matt's nodding. You guys have done this in your own wrestling as you, he isolates. That's what he did in, in Eden, which Matt wants to slap him for. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you can just fight that urge to isolate and reach out to even one person, um, and and then got, and then dear precious evangelical pastors and leaders be the, the church in the family that Jesus promised in Mark 10. So that those of us who feel isolated, that the enemy just wants to pick us off. Uh, just if you engage this, it's going to really promote that authenticity and really promote God's kingdom on earth as we link arms and as we become the family, the oneness, the body of Christ that Jesus wants us to be. Oh, beautiful. So beautiful, good. Lord. Well, thank you yeah. so much again. And thank you for even that last aside. Um, and thank you all for listening. For those of you who uh, are listening and engaging this conversation, we so appreciate it. We love your your feedback, your thoughts, your pushback, your wrestling with these things. And we like hearing from you as well in answer to our question of the week, which I'll pose that to you now. It is how do you best receive constructive feedback or growth pointing out about your personal life? How do you best receive that? You know, is it like what tone, where on the internet, new person? Uh, and I, I ask this because I think even in this conversation, we can get caught up and being like, well, I got to tell my friend what's true. And I'm like, well, when do you like things told about your personal life about what's true? So I honestly just want to hear that is how, how do you best receive constructive feedback? So if you want to answer that, hit me up at podcast at himhministries.com or find me on Instagram, Lori Krieg, K-R-I-E-G, or on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, just friend me and I'll post this. Usually, hopefully not hours before we record, but often it is. All right. But thanks again, Mike, for joining us on the show today. It was great to hear your perspective. Total pleasure. Lori and Matt, thanks so much for all you're doing. You have a tremendous ministry. And I, I'm positive you don't fully appreciate all of us around the, at least America, if not the entire globe, that are appreciating what you two are doing. Praise well, God. Thank you. Yeah, we. it's such a privilege. And for those of you who want to reach out to Mike, I will uh, link you to his site on our podcast episode page. And as well as if you guys are interested in some of the training we do at HIMH, we love coming along side churches uh, and really beef you up with how do you how do you journey well and so we have a journey well workshop we do which is one day six hours which seems like a lot but I'll tell you what by the end they're like how about more <laughs> most churches <laughs> and like I mentioned last week we have a new curriculum coming out called journey well as well and that can be for small groups or individuals uh, if you want to walk through some of this journey of the heart that's coming out in the next month I know some of you have been emailing me for probably years, but it's coming out the next month. All right. But thanks so much for listening today and joining us here on the Hole in My Heart podcast. So we will see you next week.
wonderful. We're talking to you. Are you out in where and where in Colorado? Uh, I am in a city just north of Colorado Springs, okay. a town called Monument. Monument. Hmm. I feel like Colorado would have a city named Monument. Yes. There should be Makes sense. several. <laughs> There's a monumental we, we are all west out here in Colorado, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Monument. Yeah, I can't picture that in Michigan. <laughs> I mean, you um, could have that in like <clears throat> D.C. maybe, like a suburb. Yeah, that's true. Monument, D.C. Monument no. Park, I don't know. <laughs> Monument, don't, Virginia. Maryland, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you guys would love my uh, street name even better. It's uh -oh. called Muzzle Loader Way. No. What? Man, you're just <laughs> yes, stereotyping all over yourself, wow. bro. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Muscle Loader Way. Muscle I mean, Loader Way. Don't you love it? In, Mo <laughs> in Monument, Colorado. Yeah, the, the yeah, newer Have you all ever been to Colorado Springs? Yes, we've done the the trip to Mecca slash Focus on the Family <laughs> slash more specifically Adventures in Odyssey Town. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. So well, I'm glad you made it to my uh, former uh, place of employment for yeah. let's see, four, 14 years. There you a lot go. Of, a lot of good memories from them. Hmm. Yeah, we our huge family was on the Focus on the Family show. Um, uh huh. How long ago was that? What year was that? Do you know? I'm guessing not, maybe straight up 1990. Yeah. Yeah, maybe 91. Oh, okay. uh, and then my parents were introducing us 12 kids to Dr. Dobson. And then they were going down the line and then they were like, where's Scott? And so they forgot a kid at home. No, at the hotel. And in that moment, they the hotel concierge was like, you forgot one. And they brought him up. Awesome. My parents didn't even notice. Oh, my. It's sad. Home Alone Part 2. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was lost in <laughs> Lost hotel. in Colorado Springs. 